We are live this time. Oh, Hello, welcome <laughs> back to Red Devils Talk. I just did the whole intro. If you listen to this on Spotify, obviously you're doing it on playback. I just did the whole intro, but it didn't go live. Kieran had the same problem with his podcast. Periscope are shutting down. So yeah, oh, Jamie's here in the comments. So yes, we are actually live right now. Welcome back. I'm Haydar Obani. Nice to see you all. It's been a long, long week. Manchester United have played quite a few times, haven't they, since we last spoke. Oh, mate, Saturday was gutting. But yesterday we won, Joe, and look, it's good to be back. What are your thoughts generally on United at the moment? Are you feeling as high as we were after the Southampton game? Are you feeling like we've just kind of, we've plateaued a little bit and we're kind of back where expectations should be? Yeah, it's a difficult one, isn't it? It's, it's hard to follow up a 9-0, really, when you think about it, isn't it? I mean, how do you follow that? You know what I mean? It is difficult. And at one stage, it did look like it was going quite well. I mean, we were sort of 2-0 up and looking quite comfortable at uh, half-time against Everton. And I was thinking back to the question you asked me on Red Devils Talk last week about, does it, you know, after the 9-0, does it mean that United have turned a corner now and have they found that ruthless streak? Well, I suppose if they had, Hayden, then I suppose on Saturday night against Everton, when they were 2-0 up at half-time, they would have gone on and tried to get three and four quite quickly. And then that game would have been a lot easier to close out. But obviously, to be fair to Everton, you know, they responded at half. I wish they had to, because I thought they were really poor in the first half by their standards, to be fair. Their tactics didn't seem to be working at all. But obviously, they got the first goal and it was just the worry for me. And it's sort of, the, this whole thing seems to have carried over since Everton's first goal last Saturday. The, the mistake, if you want to call it a mistake from the hair, I am. I think he should be doing better with that. If he's not catching it, he should be pushing it much further out or even using his feet like he normally does. You know, that from that mistake onwards, there's a real fragility about the back line, the team in general. They just look nervous as if like, to th it was almost as if they hadn't really made a mistake for a while and they thought they'd eradicated it from a game. But actually, that mistake reminded them that actually they haven't come as far as they probably think they have at the back. And here we go again. And then I think the whole sort of game mirrored that. And obviously the way it ended was just, well, heartbreaking, really. You know, you never want to end a game like that. It was it was just felt like a defeat. And then I think the hangover from that, even though the team was quite different last night, we did make some changes. I still think there was a hangover from that. And it was a classic United performance when the team comes and puts everybody behind the ball. I mean, the, there was a lot of times last night, that first half, where he could have freeze, like, freeze the screen. And West Ham had like a back eight, Hayley, you know what I mean? And it was like classic. United are never breaking that down. And it, it's, it's just, they're just not going to, not when they haven't got Bruno in the team anyway. And then obviously, the second half, West Ham come at us a bit more. And even when we did sort of left a bit more space, United still didn't look like they were ready to capitalize. So um, it was a bit of a hangover from. From Saturday, but I think the main thing, obviously, last night is we did get through. It's just a shame it took 120 minutes. Yeah, and I think that's <clears throat> that's a very, very fair um, reflection of the game. Look, for me, the victories is the most important thing, but it was a bit flat. Quite a few changes. Uh, if you're trying to listen to this on Periscope, for some reason, it's deleted. So we've only got a few in in here on YouTube. Thank you for joining us, Kieran. I want to talk about one man in particular, and Scott McTomney. The question I've got across the bottom is, is he in the form of his life? Look, when I looked at the statistics today, 
there really wasn't much difference between his passing percentage last season to this season. His expected goals is very similar. He's actually matched his goal tally and assist tally from last season. I mean, looking at all those things, it, it does kind of show to you, doesn't it, that you actually got to use this source and this source more. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, I'm pointing at my eyes because you can put pluck every single stat under the sun. But at the end of the day, sometimes they actually show what's going on is very, very similar. But Scott McTominay has definitely gone up a level for me. You know, what we've seen a bit more in the last few weeks is we've seen him. He's not sitting anymore, right? He's getting forward. I think that's really, really key because being an ex-striker as well, you can actually see the way he strikes the ball is absolutely fantastic. It's beautiful, actually. He's got very good technique. He keeps it low. He's got good power. I mean, he seems to be scoring worldies pretty much all the time. But when you look at all these things, United are starting to rely on him, aren't they? He's now almost a shoe-in. And I think elements of that is to do with the fact that Matic isn't playing as well to the level that he was at. Last season, obviously, Matic was Oli's go-to man at the heart of midfield in terms of screening defence. But uh, I think now, if you're looking at it, Bruno's first name on the team sheet in terms of the midfielders, with Pogba out injured now, it's probably it's probably McTominay, isn't it? Yeah, I think it absolutely is McTominay. And when we talk about this whole in the form of his life, I've always said that when it comes to any kind of player, look, stats are great. You can, But the thing that people need to remember is you can incorporate a stat to to shape whatever opinion you have. You can have a statistic to show that McTominay is not being great this season. You can get another statistic to say he's been one of United's most important midfielders. But again, it always comes to the eye test. You should always have the two sources of when you're actually analysing anyone should be your, as we mentioned, your left eye and your right eye. That's It's always the most important. Yes, stats can help you back up an argument. But I think... What we're seeing from McTominay is that I don't think he's afraid to get forward anymore. And that's the difference. I think before, I don't think he was as comfortable in the United team because you looked at the end of last season and what was it? Matic played maybe the last 10 or so games and where Matic didn't play, Fred played. That, has, that does a lot to a player's confidence. And when he's playing as a defender for Scotland, and it's, it's difficult. But now I think he knows his role in the team. He knows that he's an important player. He may not start every single game, but it's important that he knows that when he is to get forward, that he does try and create things and make things happen. Look, he's never going to be a, a Bruno-type player that's going to be the player that gets those assists, but he gets in the right positions to have chances. And look, at the end of the day, I'd rather have him taking shots than I would prefer seeing Fred and the likes take shots because I don't know. Fred is the most un-Brazilian midfielder I think I've I've ever seen. But you, you look at McTominay and I think he's very assured of what he's doing. He knows what his job is and he does it to the best of his ability. It just means he's not going to have a 10 out of 10 performance every single day, every single game, but he actually is having a really big influence on United winning some of these scrappy games. We complain for the last 12 months that Maguire is not scoring enough from corners. You actually look at McTominay and I think he's been more dangerous than Maguire has. And all the attention goes to Maguire when we take corners and you look at 
McTominay, there was games, I think, against PSG that he had maybe two or three opportunities to score. You see him against Newcastle. We've seen him a couple of times now, and I think he's he's gotten his highest goal tally for United already this season, and there's still plenty of games for him to play in. I think he's... I mention it all the time. You can have those superstars, but you need glue players as well, and I think he's one of those glue players that you, Ferguson always had. We, we've meant... I think... We mentioned it before, the idea of Darren Fletcher. And I don't think he's going to be that far off where we saw Darren Fletcher in terms of how important he may be for the overall setup. And look, I guess having Carrick and Fletcher and the coaching staff only helps him. Yeah, some excellent, excellent points. I'm going to read out a few of the comments. Helly here saying, I wouldn't play Scott as a DM. He's a box-to-box player. I agree. Aaron as well. He can put himself about. He has high energy, but he's using that energy to make driving runs and breaking into box rather than sitting, which isn't his natural game. Yeah, absolutely. I want to come to you, Joe, because yeah, Kieran brings up that point about the being like Darren Fletcher. And actually, when people were saying this earlier on in the season, I was thinking, no, not at all. Darren Fletcher is a really he was a technically actually underrated player. I would say he was a player who. Um, wasn't just there to sort of make up the numbers. I used to feel like that a little bit with McTominay. Um, but I actually agree with that. And the reason why I say he's a Darren Fletcher figure is because you need players like like McTominay in the squad who are going to be a hardworking, local lad. I know Darren Fletcher wasn't essentially a local lad, but he came to the academy. Um, who will put their body about, who's got great energy, as Aaron said, who's going to give absolute 110% every time he plays. But my point when I was saying he wasn't like Darren Fletcher is because when you looked around at the general squad that Sir Alex had, it was packed full of Ronaldo's, you know, Rooney's, Berbatov's, Vidic, you know, you know, world class players. Mm. Now, but actually, when you look at it, if you get these supposed world class players around McTominay, mm. you can't win a league title without the McTominays in the squad. If that makes sense. No. Nah. Nah. So you know, how do you see it? Because I think we've also got to temper expectations. Paul Popper's probably going to go. We saw last night many times when when Paul Popper doesn't play, there's no one to progress the ball in midfield. We had Fred and Matic, and we will talk about uh, we'll, we will talk about Van der Beek. And I do think some of Van der Beek's problems yesterday, you can relate them to what was behind him. You can not all of them, but you can. You have to acknowledge that. Can Scott replace Pogba? I'm laughing because I don't think he can, but that doesn't mean that Scott is an integral part to the squad that makes sense yeah no i don't i think this is the thing for united hater they need as as good as scott's been and i hope he continues to develop and you're absolutely right he's crucial to in order to build in a squad he, he, people like him are like kira said the glue i think that's a really good word but the but for United, Hayner, you don't win titles by having Scott McTominay's playing week in, week out, unfortunately. You know, as good as Darren Fletcher was, and I love Darren Fletcher, John O'Shea was another versatile squad player that we had. Loved those players. But if they had to play week in, week out, Hayner, they you weren't winning league titles. So, no, I don't think he can sort of hit the level. Interestingly, though, I heard a stat earlier, which I'm surprised about. He scores seven goals this season now, McTominay. That's more than all our midfielders combined, which is a great effort. And I think I think what it is, to be honest, Hayden, I think it's an evolution of this McFred pivot. And I've noticed it over the last couple of weeks. I think what Ollie's realised he's got to do if McFred are going to play together. We know he likes playing that combination. But especially at home, he's had to find a way 
of making it more aggressive. And I think it started against Southampton when we went down to Tebe the other week, where he just pushed Tomane on a little bit. And I've noticed it again uh, um, when he came on uh, in the game yesterday. I feel like they are still the double pivot, but I feel like McTominay is getting slightly more advanced down a bit further forward. And and I think it's just an evolution of the system because I think we've all we've all said our criticism of that partnership is that it's probably a bit too defensive, isn't it? Especially when you're playing at home against lesser sides. But if McTominay can continue to sort of break forward the way he is and get on the edge of the box, like you said, he does strike the ball really well. I think it was quite telling in Ollie in his interview. Uh, after the game yesterday, said something about he's a really good finisher, and that is a compliment coming from Ollie. And he even he even went as far as to say some of the other lads could learn from the way he strikes the ball. Because if you notice, when a when a chance drops to McTominay, he doesn't think about it, Hayden. He just hits he just, it. He hits yeah. it, and I think that that's what Ollie would like. Marcus could learn from that. The likes of, yeah, we you know we've criticised Rashford on this show for taking too many touches before shooting. It seems to take. An eternity to get the ball out of his feet. Same with Martial. It's almost, especially at the moment, Martial looks like he has to get really close before he fancies himself to score. You know what I mean? He's got to get really close in. So I think what he wants is he wants his strikers to look at McTominay and just be like, be a little bit like more carefree when you hit the ball. Just, just don't worry about it. Strike it. Believe in your ability and believe in your execution. And I think, um, like I said, coming from Ollie, that's quite a big compliment. Yeah, well said. A lot of love for McCombie in the comments. Kieran, I'm going to come to you really, really quickly. Just answer this in, uh, you know, just short because uh, we've got quite a lot to get through today. Um, Jamie, is it Jamie asking it? Yeah, Jamie's asking, if Fergie was here, McTominay would get in the side under him? I think he would. What's your view on that quickly? I think he would. But um, I think, as Joe said, it wouldn't be week in, week out, would it? Yeah, he, he would. It would be in the same... Yeah. In the same the same way as the likes of uh, I know I mentioned Fletcher earlier now Fletcher later on in his career was a very important member I don't think it would be in that kind of context but you look at the way he used John O'Shea and John O'Shea didn't play every game but he was really important Park Ji Sung didn't play every single game but he was he was an important member of the squad I think McTominay would be the same I think he would be one of those squad players that Ferguson would use in particular games that he knew could do the job that would elevate the team's performance. And I think that's where that's where he's at, and that's what he does now. He doesn't need to play every game, but in particular games, he can be one of the reasons that United can go on and win. And I, I think it was – he showed that yesterday when he came on. I think he was very impressive. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, look, McTominay deserves a lot of plaudits. But I think also we got to temper our our plaudits. <laughs> that makes sense yeah. because, as as Rob would say, don't get high, don't get too low. I think McTominay's been fantastic this season. But if you wanna, I think um, one of the comments earlier, Cohen said actually that his passing does need to improve. And then we're talking about yeah. his passing, you know, his, yeah. his and his ability probably when he's got a lot of lot of pressure on him or in tight spaces that needs to improve. But if he's going to improve that, I mean, he's got the, like I said, the attitude, he's got the physique, he's got the energy, uh, you know, he's, um, he's he covers every blade of grass. You know, he's a he's a good player. I mean, look, Alan's coming in here saying, for me, 
United have too many players who don't truly really fit how Solskjaer wants to play. Van der Beek's an obvious example, but I also question Fred, not a number six, not really an eight either. Will the director of football fix this issue? We're actually going to answer this because we're going to talk about Van der Beek now. The conundrum that is Tony Van der Beek. Look, I, I've actually said this quite a few times this season <clears throat> that although a lot of fans were getting very high on Fred, I'm, I'm saying very, very high. Oh, he's a world-class midfielder. Fred is very, very limited. Like, I th I'm telling you, he's good at three things. Pressing in his energy, yeah. his tenacity, and I would say his ability to do a job that the manager says, right, this is what you're going to do all game, and this is what you've got to do. He's not a good passer of the ball. His touch isn't particularly brilliant. He's an awful shooter. I I'm just being completely honest with you. I think there's another player that we overrated. I'm actually quite shocked that Pep Guardiola was looking at someone like Fred to come into his midfield because I just don't see how he fits into that. He's not comfortable in possession. Does that mean that he doesn't have a role in the squad? Not at all. You need players like Fred. Fred, for me, falls in the same category as McTominay, except I think McTominay's probably got a little bit better than him. Paulie is going to be absolutely stewing listeners. to this. But Alan says, you know, will the director of football fix this issue? Possibly. But I also think that... It depends who the managers are, right? So you've had Jose Mourinho as one manager. You've had Louis van Gaal. There's no, no continuity, as we've spoken many times before. So you could have a director of football in there. But if the director of football is just going to buy whichever managers that, that are going to come in, then it doesn't fix the problem. Donny van der Beek, we're going to talk about him, Joe. I, I seem to have uh, struck a nerve with, about Donny van der Beek, where I said, and I'll say it with my chest out, that his long-term future is not at Manchester United. That doesn't mean he's, he's a terrible player. He just doesn't fit the system. And there's a fantastic thread by United Arena today. Absolutely fantastic on him. And he compared Van der Beek actually to Shinji Kagawa. Similar situations. When Shinji Kagawa came to squad, he was probably one of the most highly rated attacking midfielders in the league, in, in Bundesliga. He really, really, I mean, we, that was one of those that I was really gutted it didn't work out. Mkhitaryan, another, Mkhitaryan, yeah. another one. Yeah. 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 He played 4 2 3 1 at Dortmund. He was the attacking. Fulcrum there, you know, he was everything good went through Kagawa for Klopp. Came to Manchester United with really high expectations. United played 4-4-2 almost under Sir Alex, you know, and he was shifted out onto left. I mean, he had a few good performances. Norwich was one of them. But he doesn't mean he was a bad player. He just did not fit the system. And this is what I think with Donny van der Beek. He's not a bad player at all. I, I've, I've praised him in this thread. I've said, you know, he's got great spatial awareness. He's one-touch football. He's a clever player. He makes clever runs. But his runs, he's looking to make. I spoke to someone at work about it today. He was spotting. He said he likes to drift out into the wide areas. He's not staying central enough. We'll play 4-2-3-1. The number 10 in the Oli system has to be created, has to be able to take the ball and carry it and then create. Donny van der Beek is not a passer of the ball. He's not a progressive passer. Donny van der Beek is not a... A progressive ball carrier what Donny van der Beek is is he needs 10 players around him who are going to play one touch football who are going to see his run and you know make those late runs into the box that's what Donny van der Beek does Donny van der Beek cannot play number eight anyone that's saying he's playing number eight, he cannot play number eight why because he's not a progressive passer you're gonna have the same issues that you have when Fred and McTominay played together yeah. Now, can he develop that? Perhaps, but he's never done that. I mean, Rob always says he's like Frank Lampard, you know, making those runs late into the box. But, Joe, what is this obsession with Donny van der Beek that the pressure's so high on him now that when he plays and plays like he did yesterday, it wasn't terrible, but when he puts in a performance like that, 
the exp- you know the fans are upset, but why can't certain fans actually see that the issue why Oli's not picking is because he does not fit the way Manchester United are playing. Well, first of all, Hayden, the, the, they're angry because it's a shiny new toy thing, aren't they? We all want when we, you know, and let's be honest with you, Hayden, I remember doing a transfer show with you in the summer, welcoming Van der Beek with two Dutch football journalist experts, and we were high on the sign. And we, I remember us both saying at the time, what a great signing this was. I suppose you could probably go back through our tweets and see tweets where we, where we were so high on Van der Beek and saying it was an absolute brilliant piece of business. But, you know, obviously, what you then have to be able to do is you need to be able to analyse and and watch over time and observe with, with your two sources, like you say. And you see obvious issues and then, you know, you have to have the humility to say, well, maybe I got it wrong. You know what I mean? Maybe, you know, it isn't just because he's a new player and he hasn't played much doesn't mean to say that you have to have the same thoughts now that you had in the summer. You know, we've seen enough of Donny in this system to suggest that, it probably doesn't work. And I've been mean, people that saying he's a number eight, a number eight in Ollie's system. He has got nothing at all in his game that can make him a number eight in Ollie's system. The reasons that you mentioned above, you know, you get exactly the same as McTominay and Fred. I would argue you get even less hated because you don't get that energy and intensity and physicality that you get. At least you get that from McFred. You know what I mean? At least you get that ability to press, to the challenge, to you know, to get stuck in. He doesn't even give you that yet, whether that's because he's, his confidence is low or whether he, he just hasn't got that in him or whether he can adapt it. We're not sure. Obviously, time will tell. But, yeah, and again, as a number 10, what what have we said We've said before on this show, Hayden, when Bruno struggles as a 10 for United is when teams have forced him to go out wide to pick up the ball. Because, like you said, in Ollie's system, the 10 has to say central. So Bruno, when he's at least effective for United, is when he's been pushed wide, you know. And I think there's two teams that have done that really well against us. One of those is Wolves, and the other one's Manchester City. They've done a really good job at ensuring that the only place Bruno can pick up the ball for large portions of the game is in wide areas. And then for whatever reason, Bruno's just not as effective there, whether it's the system, whether it's Bruno's skill set, I'm not sure. But what was most worrying for me about Donny last night in his performance was I actually see, saw him making quite a lot of good runs, quite a good movement. But it was almost as if the players, they, they saw him. I know they saw him because I could see them looking in the direction, but they wasn't looking for that pass. Now, I'm not saying that this is Vinicius Benzema don't pass to him sort of situation. But but what I am, but what I am suggesting is, is maybe the players around him don't, just don't, they can see he's made that clever move, but they know if they pass it to him, Hayden, it's just going to break down because he's either going to play it safe backwards, where it came from, or he's going to play it square, or he's going to try and move it too quickly for the play, for the, and the move will just break down. So I just think what worried me last night was, is actually I think his performance and his movement off the ball wasn't too bad, but the worry for me would be the players around him just don't look like they have the confidence in him. And I think that that, is a real big concern because let's not forget we just see Donny when we see him on the telly every weekend. These players work with him every week, every day in training, Hader. And if they are not feeling it with him, I think that's a big concern. Yeah, it's actually Andrew. He's in the comments. Hello, Andrew, mate. Me and Andrew were the ones having the debate. And like, I actually, I do see Hi, some. Thoughts. I mean, Andrew said here. To be fair, I agree with your assessment on Donny van der Beek. Just think the long term, we should be building towards having players like him rather than players that can't play with him. I completely agree. Look, I you guys know this. 
in October, I turned around and again, I got pelters this, but I said, I don't think he's an Oli signing. That doesn't mean that Oli didn't okay it, but he was not first choice, Kieran. We've had this discussion many yeah. a time. We all know it's Jack Grealish. They got relegated. Villa got relegated. Jack Grealish would be a Manchester United player right now. Again, Donny and Jack Grealish are completely different players. Jack Grealish is a fantastic ball carrier. Actually, what Manchester United need, Donny van der Beek has got excellent movement off the ball, excellent spatial awareness. So for me, that the move was always very strange because when I did watch Donny a little bit more, and I'm not going to confess I watched a lot of him in the Ajax. I watched what the regular person watched, but obviously, Joe, we've had James Rowe on the podcast, who's very, very knowledgeable of Dutch football, extremely knowledgeable. Watch a bit more of him and James said at the time, like he's not a number six, he's played number six at Ajax. He's actually started as a six when he was in the youth team and went further forward. So I think one of the biggest problems <clears throat> is that, Akira, I'm going to come to you on this, is that it's, it's been fed to fans that he can play number six or he can play deep. This is the problem. And we know we know that this has been fed. I think also, if you listen to commentary, I, I don't know who you had in, in Ireland, but we had Genus. He's a terrible... But seriously, Joe, some of the stuff he was saying, I, you actually think, have you watched Donny play? He's comparing him to Mark Noble, and I'm thinking, what are you talking about? But, you know, when you look at Donny van der Beek, he doesn't have the attributes to play number, for me, number eight in the Premier League. Can he develop that? Of course he can. Fred developed it. Other players have developed it. He's definitely got it up there to develop it. But number six or number eight at Ajax, I've been saying this all day today, Number six at Ajax, number eight Ajax is completely different. The pace of the Premier League is completely different. The, the territory and possession that Ajax have. Playing number six at Ajax, you're almost playing deep into the opposition half, aren't you? You're nearer to go their goal than your own goal. you know. And when you consider all these sort of things, the territory is a big one. Also, playing with players that you've grown up, there's a certain style of player that Ajax play, which Manchester United just don't play. We'd love United to play Ajax football, wouldn't we? The total football, but we don't. Joe, you're on mute. Um, we'd, love every, we'd love everyone to play that way, wouldn't we? Yeah, yeah it's you know, absolutely like beautiful. Football. Absolutely beautiful. So my point is, it's it, you know, perhaps maybe I'm writing Donny off. It's not so much I'm writing off because he's not a good enough player, Kieran. I'm writing him off because I don't see Ole Gunnar Solskjaer changing the system. And if Manchester United go and get said Declan Rice and they go to play a 4-3-3, I still don't think Donny is, is the right player to play in, as 2 eights because, and I said this the other day as well, Bruno Fernandes is a number 10. And United shouldn't fix something that isn't broken. I said to someone, don't drop him further back just so that you can fit Donny in the side. Why do that? He's doing fantastically at number 10. As soon as you drop him deeper, you lose, what, over 50% of your goals? Because that's what Bruno's contributing at the moment. <laughs> We've got to look at this logically. United, if they're going to have to fix this problem, Paul Popper goes, I've said this already, you go and get Rice, you go and get Neves. And then with Donny van der Beek, you say to him, right, you need to you need to perform or you're out. That's my my point. I would love Donny van der Beek to be brilliant. I mean, another fantastic thing that United Arena says. I do want to credit him because you know I don't think it's right when people take other people's content and things like that. You've got to got to give credit. He said a fantastic thing yesterday. You know, um, I'm in a group chat with him and he said that he's an upgrade on Lingard. He said this at the beginning of the season. I remember him saying this. He's an upgrade on Lingard, and I never expected him to to start, but he isn't the typical number 10 you have different types of number 10s right you have number 10s that you have number 10s that can carry the ball like Bruno Fernandes and can create but you have other number 10s that don't do that Lingard you wouldn't say he's a creator he's fantastic off the ball 
So that doesn't mean that Van der Beek is a bad player. He's just a different type of tenant. Kieran, I'm going to let you answer this. I know you've got a lot to say about this. Andrew saying here, City managed to play with two attacking eights, tens. We should be building towards being a great side. I do think Van der Beek could play like Gundogan. I think they're completely different players. Gundogan has so much quality on the ball. And this is what I'm trying to say. Gundogan's passing range is phenomenal. Danny Van der Beek is not a progressive passer. And that's why you can't compare him to a Gundogan. As Rob says on the Masterclass, he always compares him to Frank Lampard. That's actually a fair comparison. The way he gets into the box, I would say, if you're going to compare him to anyone. But Donny is a bit of an anomaly for me because he's a number 10. I know I've spoken for about 10 minutes, Kieran, but I'm going to allow you to have 10 minutes to break this down because I know you have you feel very strongly about this. And guys, get your get your questions in. I'll, we'll answer this. This is, you know, I understand why people think we could, he could play as an eight, but his passing is just not there for me. Yeah. It's a, it's. I completely agree. He's not a number ten. He's not a number six. What you said about Ajax is their number six and their number eight pretty much playing the same area of the pitch that their number ten does. They're very, especially look when they're playing, um, in the league. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I can hear myself. Yeah, there's a bit of an echo there. for some reason. Uh, yeah. yeah, just go on mute. Yeah, um, so basically they're able to play very advanced. And that's why you saw a lot of the, when Ajax were playing in the Champions League even, that you saw Donny get into the box quite a lot. The problem is, and, and I mentioned this probably about two or three months ago, I think stylistically it doesn't work. I think you're not going to try and force Donny in to accommodate him when you've probably the best number 10 in the world. Because I don't really treat Kevin De Bruyne as a number 10 because he's he pretty much plays all over now. And I think he it goes without saying. But I think Bruno Fernandes is probably, you look at it in the Premier League, he's probably top three in, in the Premier League in terms of players overall. So you're not going to be taking him out or changing his position to accommodate Donny van der Beek. I think... The biggest problem I actually think is when you go back to those Ajax teams is that Frankie de Jong would have been perfect for Manchester United and Danny van der Beek would have been perfect for Barcelona. And unfortunately, they went in the opposite directions. I look at Barcelona and I see Frankie de Jong play and I'm like, he doesn't fit what they're doing with the likes of Messi and with the kind of quick, fast-flowing football because... Frankie de Jong is one of those. He's a very, he's like, he likes to play in a similar way that Paul Pogba does, that he has a really good range of passing. I, I actually think he's very close to Carrick, Kieran. If you know, we're going to go and get a Carrick. Yeah. He, he, that's, he's the type of player that he does so much off the ball and on the ball. And I don't want this to kind of go more on him, but it's something I don't see from Donny. And I mentioned it, I think it was the Liverpool game, or it might have been a, a different one that he played in. But that there was a chance for him where he had about 15, 20 yards ahead of him and he had the ball. And instead of running forward with, with the ball into the space, he stops and is waiting for somebody. And that's just never going to be the way that Solskjaer wants to play. When you have players like Rashford, you have players like Bruno, Pogba for this year, you even look at Mason now, the way they want him to play. What Donny does, it doesn't fit. And... At the start of the season, when you actually when you mentioned that he 
he could end up get getting some like oh, surely that couldn't happen he's only do you remember, do you remember when he, i messaged you so yeah yeah i, I so, was thinking surely that can't happen he's just been brought in because at that point we haven't seen him enough but now you look at it and you see how the team plays and i'm convinced of the fact is if villa were relegated Grealish probably would have cost 40 to 60 million and that's who would have been brought in People say, well, why did we buy Donny van der Beek? The reason we bought it was a financial reason. It was a very cheap deal for a player that has qualities that can add something to a team. It's something that smart teams would have done. If that was offered to Man City, Barcelona, Madrid, they all would have done it if, if they could because he's not a depreciating asset because he's still very young and can build in. This What we're saying here doesn't mean that he can't play for Manchester United. He can, but he's a depth piece. And that's really all he's going to be because he doesn't fit the way United play. And no matter how much we want him, we can't just force him into playing number six. Personally, I think the only way that it's going to work is that he's going to have to take this year as a transition year into um, into the Premier League and adjust his game and learn different input different parts of the game because i don't see enough there to where you look at the performances and we mentioned this about pogba i don't see where his performances warrant him starting or even honestly and i know this might be harsh even warrant him coming on when because you look at some of the players that are on the bench and you're like they can actually provide more so like for example if we had let's say we were playing a game and it was matic pogba and bruno and we need some change in midfield because we're tiring. Who would you rather bring on? Would you rather bring on McTominay or would you rather bring on Van de Beek? I, I never yeah. thought I would say this, Kieran, but I would be like, bring bring McTominay. In the beginning of the season, the, I would say the, Van de Beek right now. Yeah, the yeah. reason is because McTominay is actually getting in positions that affect the attacking line. While Van de Beek, you do see him up there, I feel like he's a bit too passive with his ideas. It's... He tries to play that simple ball, and then when he tries to play it forward, it's always that little bit off. And it's a it's a really tough one. One of the comments that mentioned Gundogan, I think that's they're so far away from each other. When when Gundogan was at Dortmund, he was probably one of the best at number eights in the world. And if he didn't tear his ACL probably would have been playing the way he is this season at City for the last three seasons. And I can guarantee you, if that was the case, City would have won the last three Premier League titles. And he's that good. He's that good. And it was just taking time. Obviously, look, ACLs repair differently. Some people can come back for them and are great straight away. And it's like like a, a a new leg, basically. But then there's others that it actually takes a little bit of time for you to feel normal because there's a big mental side to it. And it looks like this season we're seeing kind of Gundogan back from those Dortmund days. And that's a scary proposition considering you look at Kevin De Bruyne when he comes back from injury. If they bring in a proper striker, look, it's 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 very difficult. Like, I don't know about, about you guys, but looking at kind of City going forward, I think we all know in the summer Messi's most likely going to Manchester City. So it, it's a it's a really tricky one. Uh, some of the comments, and I've had a Kira, lot Kira, of... I want to pose this to you, uh, and then after 
Joe, I'll come with a comment about um question from James. I'm, I'm assuming it's James from One United Podcast in the comments. Hello, James. Nice to see him, mate. Um, he will ask about the confidence, but Andrew's got another one here. And it looks and look what happens with uh, Donny van der Beek when he plays with De Jong. It's possible for him to fit into a world-class midfield with the right guys. That would include Bruno. He's not ready to play now, agreed fully. Look, I agree with that in part. I'll tell you why I agree with that in part, and I'll let you answer this, Kieran. I agree that with that in part because we've seen Donny van Beek play in the midfield with quality players around. And look, there's not many better than Frankie De Jong out there. He's absolutely fantastic. Such a big fan of him. Intelligent, great passer of the ball, reads the game fantastically well. He's just not suited to Barcelona. Um, I agree with you on that, Kieran. You've been banging on about this for, for a year, genuinely, yeah. when De Jong made that move. But I'll tell you why, and this is my opinion, why Van der Beek, even if you got Frankie De Jong and put him in this main night in midfield, you have to remember that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's 4-2-3 on a 4-3-3 is different to Pep Guardiola's 4-3-3, which is different to Jurgen Klopp's 4-3-3. I don't see a scenario where Donny van der Beek fits and reaches his potential in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's system, the way that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer expects his midfielders to play. Even when United get, if they, fingers crossed, they get the signings they want, United will not be as expansive as City, they'll not be as silky as City, they'll not be as um, intense you know, in terms of their pressing and in terms of their ball movement as City. They just won't. Why? Because Pep Guardiola and his philosophy is on a different level to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in, in, in a different way as well. I'm not saying one's better than the other. We, we know Pep is. But this is a point. You could still get these players around, Kieran, can't you? But that doesn't mean that suddenly his performance is going to go through the next level. Like, I just don't think that the way Oli likes to play and the way that, um, you know, that Van der Beek plays, I just don't think it actually it works together. I mean, I've seen people say, Kieran, Van der Beek on the right wing, you know, in the matter role, doesn't work. And there was a comment from Aaron. Aaron, you were asking a little bit earlier. I'll bring it back to you, Kieran, before I come to Joe. You were asking, um, Aaron was asking, oh, well, we can play Bruno, Matter, and Van Beek together. We did against, against Istanbul away. Again, you can't play those three together. Two players that don't run beyond the last man, apart from Van Beek, but Bruno doesn't do it as much. He likes to carry. And so it does Matter. Yeah, it's, it is, it's really tough. I don't think it's as easy as saying you put him in with world class players and, suddenly he he's that much better he's in a mid, he would have been in a midfield with two world-class players in Bruno Fernandez and Paul Pogba it's it's not about a player being kind of being able to raise his level all this comes back to styles you bring in players to a team and they work in some systems and don't work in others that's why I've I've harped on about this for so long that it's so important that you have that consistency in recruitment because you need the style to fit the way you want to play. And that's why when we were talking about it before, why Jaden Sancho made sense because it fit the style Manchester United wanted to play. It's the reason why I've said for so long in the past year that why, even though it was a lot of money, why Harry Maguire actually didn't make that much sense because it really wasn't the way United were initially building up the team. They were trying to become this more athletic, free-flowing football-type team. You brought in Lindelof, even, who's pretty, is a pretty good athlete. You bring in Wambasaka, who's a great defender and athlete. And then you do the opposite for Maguire, which was compared to the other defenders that we were linked with in that summer. 
Then you see Bruno comes in. We've seen kind of what that's done. We got linked with Jack Grealish, and you're like, that makes sense. That's the way that we want to play. And for me, I just think Donny doesn't fit that style. It works with Frankie de Jong because they played with each other for so long. They played with each other for 10 plus years. So if it, does, if it doesn't work with a player that you've played with for that long, it's not going to work with anybody. So obviously that one made sense. So like if he got sold to Barcelona tomorrow, he'd probably be really good for Barcelona because one, he has his friend in the midfield, plays a similar way as some of the wingers and the attackers play for Barcelona. But the problem is, even if United brought in, pick whoever you want, pick Haaland, pick Sancho, pick Rice, pick whoever, that doesn't mean that Van der Beek is going to work because I understand why he worked with Mata because they're kind of slower, more intricate passing players. And those type of players do work together. But I'm sorry, that's just not the way United play. It's You look at the strikers, it's not even the way they're asking the strikers to play. We've been saying over the past three or four games how much better Mason Greenwood has been. What's the reason? He's more direct, he's getting in behind, he's attacking defenders. With players like Van der Beek, that's, that's not the case. Where he actually would probably fit is if you did have a striker like Haaland where you can play it into him and he plays it kind of the one-twos and is very clever with his passing. That makes sense. I don't think that works with the current strikers that it's we not, have. But it's also not how United play. Yeah, it's not the way United want to play. United want to play fast attacking football. The problem is Van der Beek's not a fast attacking player. So the personally, I don't think he can play number six for Manchester United. I think the only way he's probably going to make it into the team over the next couple of seasons is if he can transition into kind of a hybrid of an eight and a six to where he can get into that team. But I completely agree with what you said early on the season. And I, I didn't see it early on because I didn't see him enough for Man United. I don't think he fits. And unfortunately, because he seems like a really good, a good guy, he's a good, he's a good player. We're not saying that he's not good, but I think stylistically – he probably just doesn't suit Manchester United. I don't even know if he suits the Premier League, to be honest. Yeah. It's something you said in the group chat. I'm going to read out some comments, and Joe, I'm going to come to you. Um, Orwa saying here that uh, you disagree. That's fine. You disagree. Van Beek needs a run of games. No, sorry, I'm reading the wrong comment. I'm going to read that in a sec. I'll put that on the thing. But, you know, you were saying about Newcastle game. We're losing 1 0, 1 2 to Matt Bruno, etc. And obviously, he scored goals. It was a good performance. You can do it in bursts, but you're not going to be relying on the whole game. With Van der Beek, Bruno, and Mata, in my opinion, um, you can disagree with that. It's fine. That's why we're all here. Want to hear all your comments? Uh, you also said Orwa that although it feels like Van der Beek needs a run of games for him to be at his best, you don't just play him at ten and play Matic and Fred behind. Except uh, expect him to play like Bruno. That's a very very fair point, uh, Joe. I'm going to come to you and uh, James from the One Night Podcast was asking, do you think it's confidence thing? That kind of ties in with what Orwa was saying. Look, confidence is a massive thing. He's definitely lost a little bit of confidence. There's no doubt about it. But what I will say as well is that when he's had opportunities to play, he has not shown anywhere near enough um, aggression, intensity. He has not taken his opportunities. He's had minutes. He's started games. He hasn't done anything about it. So you can't be blaming the two lads behind him. Bruno plays with Fred and McTominay. I looked at earlier, I believe 
Bruno was on for what half an hour, maybe a bit longer. I believe he had more forward passes. I checked earlier today. I don't know the exact number. Then and Van der Beek who played what nearly seventy-five minutes. You know, you need to take these opportunities, and he hasn't done that. It doesn't mean he's a bad player at all, but confidence is a big part, isn't it? Oh yeah, massively. He's not a bad player, Hayner. He's Dutch. There's no such thing as a, a bad Dutch player, I don't think. Definitely not. Oh, well, I think he's Dutch. I might need to check his passport. Same as I need to check Fred's passport as well, because I'm not convinced he's Brazilian, mate. So, uh, we'll have to see. But, uh, yeah, now, I think that, you know, I think look, Kieran's broke it down brilliantly, and I think he's absolutely spot on what he's saying. So, I don't want to obviously, um, obviously go over a lot of what Kieran said, but I think, yeah, from from the confidence point of view, it is huge. I mean, hopefully we'll never see it. But obviously, if you think about Bruno since he's come in, everything he's touched has turned to gold. So, you know, he's had a completely sort of contrasting sort of time at Manchester United. And look, I'd have been, I would have understood it if we'd have been here 12 months on with Bruno saying similar things or, or worrying a little bit about his form. I mean, he come from the Portuguese League, which is a, completely differently and I think that's what makes Bruno's transition even more impressive because he's coming from a, a league with a sort of similar standards to, especially in Europe and it's just phenomenal what he's done and I think it's credit to Bruno and it, it sort of it shines Bruno in an even brighter light when you think about the players that he's playing around to be fair because like you said for the majority of the time he's played in front of but Tommy and Fred, who are not the best people at sort of feeding him the ball, as as, as we've analysed before. So I think, you know, I, I think that's what makes Bruno's time at so far, his first year, even more Joe, incredible. The fact that the players see, play Do you see elements of Veron with Van der Beek? I see elements in the sense of the impact that people expected him to have and he hasn't had. I don't know whether I see aspects in terms of the type of player to be honest with you I'm struggling because when in those early 2000s when Veron came to United I didn't really watch a lot of football around Europe I mean I don't know if you remember but there wasn't exactly a lot on I think when David Beckham moved to Real Madrid in 2003 that's where we first started seeing Spanish football like on Sky and things I know Italian football used to be on Channel 4, but that was going back to the 90s. Well, sort of, well, exactly, yeah, early 90s, mid-90s. Now, so it's very difficult for me to have, to have understood what Man United thought they were going to get from Veron. And then, obviously, if you think about when he came to United, I was even more confused about what type of player Veron was because he never showed what he was at United. So it's tough to say, but it's definitely that sort of, you know, I mean, obviously... The, the fee that we paid for Veron back in the day was a lot more extortionate to the fee that we paid for um, Donny in terms of context. So I think we paid 20-odd million for Veron, was it, back in... I mean, that was a lot of money in 2000. That would be like pay, paying 60 million, 70 million for a player now, if you know what I mean. So it wasn't a sort of deal that we did on the cheap, but... It was a player that we expected to come in and have a massive impact on this team. I think United almost wanted Veron to be like El Keen out a little bit, you know what I mean? And say, but you know, take that responsibility off Keen. They knew that his career was winding down, and it was another one of them moves that Fergie was trying to do a sort of a transition move, if you know what I mean. But it, it never came off. And then he went to Chelsea and he did all right at Chelsea, didn't he, Veron? Under Mourinho. 
no, no, it was, was before, before. It was before uh, Ranieri. 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 Yeah. Chelsea. Yeah, he, yeah, did, yeah. he did say yesterday, literally yesterday. This is why I bring him up because he came into my mind. But he said yesterday, I regret leaving United. I should, I should, I should have stayed longer. Um, but again, yeah. it's it's that system thing. It's a system and style. I mean, I'm seeing a it's, lot of comments here. His first you know, game that he played was ridiculously yeah. good. That but he was so I, talented, though. I remember well. a story. I was reading that Nicky Butt put out. Um, it was when he was talking about some of the guys in the academy, and he was saying that he was suspended for Varane's first game. And Varane played so well that he thought he was never going to get back into the United team. Like, that's how good it was, and it just held off from there, unfortunately. But it's exactly what Joe was saying. It's, yeah. I mean, look, the, we've got... Some of the games got... it worked, some, some it yeah. didn't. Yeah, we've got a few comments always saying, you know, he's 20, uh, Van Beek's 23, has long future, Varane was in his prime. All those things are true. I mean, I don't know if he dropped in a little bit late. We, w- we went completely into depth on why. He's just saying here Van Beek can play as an, he's more of an eight for you. You know, we've gone into why. So I don't know if you if you did drop in late. Definitely check it out and, and drop back because we went into it in a lot of depth on why. You know, perhaps in the Premier League, uh, you know, we don't see it. Um but what I will say before we move on, because we're going to talk about, finally, we'll talk about Henderson and De Gea, which who should be number one. But uh, what I will say is, you know, I've seen a lot of comparisons with Fred. You know, Fred's taken time, but Fred was never, he was never a systemic problem with Fred. It wasn't like there was no way he could play in the system. It wasn't like he was a square peg in the round hole. It wasn't like he couldn't fit in. The problem with Fred was that he just looked terrible. He just hadn't adapted to the league. I don't think Van der Beek's looked terrible in terms of that sense. What I mean is, I don't think he's coming and you think, how the hell is this guy a footballer? How have we played 40 million for him? I think what we see with Van der Beek, you're thinking, where does he play in this team? That's what I see when I see Van der Beek. I don't look at a player and think, I look at Van der Beek and I, I see a player, Joe, I'll let you, I'll let you jump in, in yes, a second. Right. I see him as a player who's got very, very great, good IQ. And I know it looks like I'm hating on him. It's not, it's just what I can see. I'm, I'm just saying what I can see. And I'm yeah. saying that United look a better side than McFred. And I'm saying this, and I'm not a fan of McFred, rather than going and put Donny with one of them. It just doesn't, it's not going to work. He's obviously a clever player. He's, he's makes great runs. Yes, players aren't picking out his runs. But um, I, I just don't see, unless Oli completely changes the system or Van der Beek drastically changes, which I can't see either. I can't see him changing his game completely. Uh, and what Oli wants from the, peop- the players that are playing deeper is he wants them to be physical as well. Paul Pogba is a physical specimen, Joe. So unless yeah. all these factors ha- change, I'll happily turn around and say I was wrong. I don't, I don't care about that. There's no ego involved. Mate, but I've just if, seen this story so many times with talented players that have come to Premier League. I mean, I think Kai Havertz might be another player like that. And that would be a bigger one, Hayden. Because, I mean, what, what, how much was that deal? About 90 million, was it? And we talk about a generational talent there. I mean, that is that would be on another level. But I just wanted to follow up what you were saying about the comparison with Fred and Van der Beek and seeing it sort of thing. I always remember thinking when I first saw Fred in his first season in that first year, I was probably one of the pe- one of the fans that actually quite liked Fred even when he was struggling. And I think the reason that I felt like that was because I felt he was giving us something in game. I could see something. There was something likable about him. I could see an energy about him. I could see a willingness to try and learn. You could see there was a lot of naivety in his play and it was just something that, needed to be coached out of him. And you think about the type of fre- uh, player that we want Fred to be, you know, thought Mourinho would have been an ideal coach for that, really, wouldn't you? You know what I mean? To to bring that into his game, but it, it never really happened. And if anything, his development's improved most since under Solskjaer. So, I mean, obviously that's great. And it's kudos to Fred and kudos to Ollie. But that was the difference for you. Yeah, when I see Van der Beek play at the moment, there's nothing that's saying to me, 
ah, I can see where he's going here. I can see he's trying. So I can see he's trying to be something. I can see that there's a development there. We, we, that's what I mean. As poor as Fred was, at least I was I was getting something in the games. I had something to hold on to. You know what I mean? A belief. I mean, this coming from Alan is on. Van Beek's a better technical player than Fred, but Fred is easier fit in the squad. I mean, I, you know, Andrew saying here, Tielemans stunk up his first season in the Premier League. A lot of players do. No, I'm just saying a lot of players do have poor seasons. Yeah. I'm not saying everyone just slots in. This isn't about Van der Beek. This is what I'm trying it's to get styles. across. It's styles. It's purely Van der Beek. Yeah. Yeah. We're not saying he's a bad player. He won't. It's, it's purely the style that Man United play. And I, you know, I'm not sure how many more times I can say, it. I'm not going to say it anymore after this. Just because I'm seeing the it's same flaws. Do- I'm seeing the same flaws in his game, Aida, that I saw in the very first game. That's the worry. Yeah. We said it there after the very first couple of appearances. We said we need to see that he's willing to adapt. Or that the system's willing to well, the system's not going to adapt around him because there's too many great players in that system. But he's also he there's no, there's no cause to do that if he's banging yeah, no, through exactly. the numbers. You know what I mean? Like it's not going to happen. So the responsibility is on him. And as much as he's, I've always thought one thing I will say about Donny is he's always come across as a good pro, a good lad, like Kieran said. But good pros, good lads find a way of changing the game whether they want to or they, they become to something else to work for their team, to work for their club. And I'm just not seeing that in Donny. He doesn't seem. Well, he's still doing the same things he was doing in his first couple of games. He doesn't seem to have that will. It's like, I'm Donny van der Beek. This is the way I play. And every time he plays, it's almost as if, like, I'm going to keep doing this up to force your hand. United aren't going to change, mate. You're not bigger than the club. So Donny's the one that's got to change, and I just don't see that happening. The thing is, there's a few comments here. I'm going to move on after this, Kieran. We're going to, I'm going to come to you about Henderson. Um, look, Andrew, I see your points. But you're saying here that we want to adapt our style to be the team that we want to be. This United team, this under is Solskjaer, team. it's not going to be the team that you want it to be. I'm, we mentioned this a few podcasts ago. I don't know if you've seen it. And I think Rob said it many times in the Masterclass. We think, I think as fans, and I, I know this is not the case, which is why at times I haven't wanted Oli to be the long-term option because, you know, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, United and Oli Gunnar Solskjaer are never going to play football like we look at we see City or Liverpool, you know, we're never going to play that style of football. Even when he gets his players, he is prag- pragmatic first. Paulie, who's one of the biggest supporters of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, bangs on about this. And he says, he's pragmatism first. He's like, right, we've got to keep the house in order before I go and do what I'm going to do. He thinks about how am I going to stop the opposition before being, he's not the sort of manager that's going to turn, even with the players and say, right, this is how we're going to play at City. He's not going to go and try to play City off the park because it's just, I think, you know, the coaching I'm not saying he's a bad coach. I'm just saying that he's not on that level. Not many are on the level of Klopp and Pep. And I think, you know, saying here, or saying here, you know, a run of games should, should, with Bruno and change and fit in the system. I, I don't, I just don't see Donny doing that. We've seen that he's training. So look, players have, for example, uh, come to the club, come to clubs and they haven't played for months. You know, when you see that sometimes or some players just don't play for months. Mkhitaryan was an example, right? Didn't play for months. Played against City, came off after like what half an hour or 40 minutes. It was terrible. Then he just got benched for ages. And Jose worked on him in the training ground. And he came back and he smashed it the second half of the season. We know what happened with him. But what I'm trying to say is that you kind of think that's happening with Donny, that Oli's saying, right, I'm going to work on you on the training ground. And so he's playing now. And you're not like Joe saying, you're not seeing that much of a difference. So that's when the alarm bells are ringing. So, you know. Perhaps yesterday, me saying his long-term future was reactionary. You know what? I was watching the game. And I wasn't happy with his performance. But I still maintain, doesn't mean that he's not going to be a success anywhere. I just don't see, unless 
yeah, maybe Ollie will change the system drastically and I'll be wrong and that's fine. But he's not going to do that because history suggests he won't do that. So it's for Ollie, it's um, for Donnie, it's almost sink or swim, right? You got to adapt or you go. And he will not have any shortage of takers. He's a really talented player. And if he goes and kills it at another big club, we shouldn't turn around, oh, Ollie's failed. No, he just, he just didn't fit. Some players are great elsewhere. Like Eden Hazard is a great example. Fantastic at Chelsea. He doesn't. He was never going to work around Madrid. Anyone could have told you that. Doesn't mean he's suddenly a bad player. To Chelsea fans, he's an absolute legend. To Premier League fans, he's he's a, a great player. But he just didn't fit at Chelsea. So we could talk about Donny all day. And I really do hope that when he gets his opportunity. But I do think that as each game goes on, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has shown that if you don't perform, you're out in the cold. And I think you will not see Donny play regular minutes now probably maybe Europa League maybe yeah. a few more cup games but I don't see him coming on the Premier League and we've seen that it's real it's a real shame because he's a great pro he's a he's a really he is a talented player but it's it's a system problem and that's why when people compare to Fred it for me it, it doesn't doesn't really wash but Kieran we'll come to you and let's talk about Henderson and we've spoken with Donny for nearly about 40 minutes um <laughs> great conversation great comments guys as well uh, you know I completely understand everyone's points. We all do, but it's just yeah. that there's more to just being a talented player or putting talented players around you. Uh, that's why we're all here. Everyone giving their opinions. It's great. Um, Kieran, Henderson or David De Gea? I know we we disagreed on this. Beginning of the season, we had the conversation and I'm going to say, I seem to be the villain. I mean, I'm getting a lot of... Lot of, uh, lot of I will be getting a lot of stick after this comes out, but... Um, Henderson never really been that high on him. I think he's he's a good shot stopper. I think he's all right at commanding Zeri. He hasn't really shown to me right now that he's anywhere near you know sort of the upper echelons of goalkeepers when it comes to commanding his area. Not good with his feet. We we know that, and he hasn't had to do that at Sheffield United. Um, is it right now that he comes in? I actually think it probably is the right decision, but I'm not convinced by him. I still think he needs a couple of years on loan. I think he's got the talent, but this is United. You know, you might have at Sheffield United, he was under constant, constant shots at goals. But May United, you might have nothing to do. And then you've got to be focused. And I think it's too early, but he's here. He signed the contract. Should he be number one now? It's a tough one. I think projecting for the entire season is hard. I don't think you just make the change from De Gea. To Henderson and say this is who our starting goalkeeper is. I think definitely for the next two to three weeks, because I was looking at the fixtures, you can definitely make that change because I think the Premier League games are West Brom and Newcastle, and you have the two Saucy Die games in between. So I think, and we've just seen him play against West Ham. So it, it's a perfect excuse to get Henderson to play because you look at the Newcastle game and look. Newcastle try and play football and they're not good defensively. So United should be able to beat them. West Brom, it'll be one of those that he just has to kind of he just has to be careful. Um in terms of like you said, it can be one of those games where you don't have to do anything and then suddenly you have to make uh, you have to make important saves. But I don't think he's been as bad as some people actually try and make it out because I think there are some people that really are kind of gung-ho on David De Gea has to play in every single game. And I disagree because I think we've seen we've seen some of the regression from David De Gea in the past three seasons. And I think at the start of the season, 
we're winning games after that first slump and people forgot about this. But there were still signs there that something isn't clicking for De Gea. I don't know if it's he's a bit too passive he, because I can't remember a game where I've seen him put his body on the line to save to save and to help United win. And that's that's a big issue because with games like we saw against Everton, where United are weak is in defence on set pieces and in those kind of last few minutes of games. And as the goalkeeper, you need to do absolutely everything you possibly can to save it. And if that means putting your body on the line, you do that. You see Ederson do it all the time. You see Alisson do it for Liverpool. When you're in... Like we haven't said it's a title challenge, but when you're in the top half and the top four, your goalkeeper needs, especially for United, who control most of the games that they play, your goalkeeper has to be able to do whatever he can. And look, De Gea is never going to get better at commanding his area, it's just not going to happen. The problem is when we're weak defensively at corners, it highlights that weakness even more, and it's not getting better. I've seen Henderson, while he's not the best at commanding it, I think he's a lot better than David De Gea doing it. I think his weakest part of his game and what you've mentioned is playing the ball at his feet. Absolutely it is. And that's, that's a big that's, that's a, a that's, big it is, it is an issue, but what you do is you then have to, as the managers, you have to balance what you want to do. Like at the end of the day, I think <laughs> I would prefer my goalkeeper where maybe he's not as good with the ball as feet and has to get rid of it quicker than a goalkeeper that is going to make mistakes that cost us to concede goals. And for me, that's it. I look at the future as well. I'm like, look, I, no matter what we want to say, David De Gea is not the future goalkeeper for Manchester United. And the sooner Man United figure out Dean Henderson is, the better. If they, f- if they play him consistently over the next year or two, and find out, okay, he's he's our goalkeeper. That's great. If they play him consistently and find out he's not our goalkeeper, well, then you know you need to find that goalkeeper. Personally, I think he's a good shot stopper. He's good, he's good at coming and collecting the ball. He actually sets up his defense very well, and it's the reason you don't see... I think his poorest game was against Sheffield United. Other than that, I think he's been fairly calm and collected when he's played. And... I think it's okay though. Like people talk about it. like last time people were like look at the way Henderson did this. I'm like, yeah, yeah one I think shot people play. yeah, people overrate it because they want to demean David De Gea. But I think the fact that you don't see a huge drop off when he's playing where when he doesn't play consistently shows you that he's doing a pretty good job. Because it's look, we've seen at other clubs, we've seen that at Chelsea for years now, that when they bring in kind of their second choice or they brought in Kappa, how big of a drop off there was from previous seasons. I don't think there's that with Dean Henderson. I personally think he needs to play because if he plays, I think you'll see him more and you get to see some of his abilities. It's not surprising he was one of the best goalkeepers in the Premier League last season. It's not surprising that there was teams that called United to try and sign him on a permanent deal this season. But the problem United have put themselves in is they have two goalkeepers and both keepers want to start games. Both goalkeepers are good enough to start in the Premier League. But now Solskjaer has to figure out the time when that transition actually takes place. Because whether you like Dean Henderson or not, they signed him to a six-year contract. So 
in the eyes of Solskjaer and in the eyes of the board. Yeah. And in the, in the eyes of the board, he's the goalkeeper for the future. So you have to figure out when's the right time. I think right now is a good chance to kind of give him that kind of chance to play in the next four games because I just, I just feel like De Gea has been making more and more mistakes. Can he play for the rest of the season? It won't cost United too much? Yeah, absolutely. But I think there is going to have to be a, a point in time where that transition actually has to take place. And like I said, it, you were completely right that if Henderson isn't going to play a lot, it, let's say this season and next season, he's not going to play a lot. Send him out on loan for one more season next season. Say, when you come back, you're the starting goalkeeper because the hail will be gone. I think that's the... Because he needs to play. So either plays for Man United or you loan him out to a Premier League club. But this is the thing, like, this is the thing. You look at the way Chelsea handled the whole the whole Courtois check exemplary, the way they did it. I know, I know Joe, Joe, by the way, you're on mute just to tell you, let you know before uh, before I come to you. Um, they handled it very well. But also Courtois went to Atletico for, what, two, three years? I, I do think people commend Henderson saying, oh, he's great, he's come back. And I, I do, in, in a way. But I also think United should have been strong. and be like, no, Dean, you're going to have your six-year contract. You'll have your 120K a week, but you're going back on loan to play. There's no good him sitting on... This is my opinion. I understand when people say he's around the squad, he's learning. You don't ever learn as much sitting on the bench or not practicing than doing the real thing. The real thing's being a goalkeeper. And then they should have sent him to a team which want to play out the back. Because as Andrew said here, I mean, we're agreeing on something. Uh, when we talk about stars, though, doesn't De Gea fit that style more? I'd say yes. The hair well, that's fits only one part of the style, though. We're saying but it's a that if you build out it, from the back, if the it is. But then I, but then I'd also say one of the styles of being a Manchester United goalkeeper is to actually be able to command your area when we're in our weakest point and actually be able to make those saves and not make mistakes. Think about it. If De Gea doesn't make two mistakes against that Everton again in the Everton game, it's a pretty straightforward win. I personally prefer my goalkeepers to be the reason that you've won the game by making really important saves. Okay, so did that early in his career. What, what if, what if Henderson, he... what if Henderson, like he's playing out the back, we've seen him do it once already this season. He hasn't played that many games. What if that keeps on happening? Playing out with your feet as a goalkeeper is harder than what's instinctive is come on your box. De Gea's not great at it, we know that. But if Dean messes up one or two more times, his confidence is going to go like that. Like playing out of the back is a huge. But I, I've been, I've been looking at this a little bit more because obviously this season De Gea has got, he has got better at it. There's no doubt about it. But when people say commanding area is more important, I actually, I'm going to disagree with this. Yes, ten years ago it was more important. Fifteen, twenty years ago it was more important to command your area. But now I've, for I've, a goalkeeper, people are buying keepers. People bought Allison, they bought Edison because they were good at passing out the back. Ollie's committed to passing out the back, and we complain about. Maguire being slow on, uh, you, know, you know, in distribution. Lindelof not being good enough. It also starts right from the back. If I, that's why I worry about, I think he should be dropped. De Gea should be dropped. I'll come to Joe yeah. in a second. I'll let Kieran have his have his say before I come to you, Joe. I think De Gea should be dropped because you can't do what he did the other night and not get dropped. And it's not the first time. But I also am not one of those that thinks suddenly you put Henderson in. I'm not saying this is you, but people do. Suddenly the defence is going to be better. He doesn't make Maguire, Maguire quicker. He doesn't make Lindelof stronger. He's also worse at passing out from the back. And then as soon as Henderson messes up, all the fans will be in his back here. I'm just, I'm simply saying 
what you got to look at his strengths and weaknesses. He'll be better at commanding his box. United probably might concede less from corners, but they could also concede from open play because Henderson's trying to play at the back and he's not calm enough to do it. Yeah, that's it's a definitely a fair comment, but I also think you look at some of those City and Liverpool teams and one of their strengths doesn't really need the keeper to have to command his box. The problem is one of United's biggest weaknesses means that they actually do need their goalkeeper to do that. And we're seeing having a weak defence and having a weak keeper in terms of coming out and pretty much relaxing the defence is it's causing a lot of issues. And it's the it's really the difference we've seen from De Gea. We always know he's been a good shot stopper. And he's never commanded his box, but we're seeing those weaknesses get kind of emphasized even more because of the way we're playing. And that look, it's it's a problem. I think I, I said the same. Look, De Gea has to be dropped just to show that when you make mistakes at a big club, you can't just be given you can't just be given your place. You have to earn it. And that's why I think out of the keepers that are there, Henderson's the one that has to be given the chance because you signed them to that contract and you've given him the, you've ba- they basically told him that he'll be starting for Manchester United. So you have to give that to him. Does it mean it's going to fix the defense? Absolutely not. The only thing that fixes the defense is signing a new center back and maybe it works out that and way. More. Yeah, exactly. And then when you have a strong defense, then you can really tell how good the keeper is. We know De Gea is better at shot stopping because he's very good. My problem has become, I think he's been way too passive as a goalkeeper and hasn't really come out when it's a one-on-one. He stays in his line way too often and doesn't, I don't think he anticipates what's going to happen. He used to do it. And for some reason now he doesn't do it anymore. So for me, it's not so much that Henderson's going to come in and fix it. I think he's a good goalkeeper. But at some point in time, you have to prepare for the future because you can't afford to have David De Gea and Dean Henderson at the club for the next three seasons. It it doesn't make financial sense. Well, one has make... to go, yeah. I mean, between them, what are their wages? Nearly 500,000. 500, yeah, Jeez. like that's what I'm saying. You have Dean Henderson that signed for the next six years. David De Gea is signed for the next two or three so realistically at some point you make that transition you see can dean henderson do it if there's not a big drop off you make that change because at the end of the day united are a team that aren't going to concede loads of chances in games just the way that they play and they dominate most premier league games so if there's not a huge drop off personally i say you make the change and you deal with it and if it doesn't work you bring somebody else in and that's the way you have to do it because you can't just stay in the same position that they're in now because you need to try and get some improvements. There's going to be a trade-off between the two goalkeepers. Henderson's better at one thing but worse at the others. If there's mistakes that are made from playing out from the back, well, then you need to make a little bit of an adjustment there. Other teams do it all the time. Not every goalkeeper in world football that's at the top level is great at playing out from the back. And different managers have to be able to kind of work around that i think in the premier league we've gotten a little bit spoiled by looking at ederson and looking at allison but there's not that many goalkeepers available anyway that can do that and personally i think like i said you do have this you do have to look at the next couple of years and what you're going to do because you're not going to keep two goalkeepers at that level happy 
No, some great points. I mean, I do agree. Joe, I'm going to come to you. I'll let you have the final say on it. No, can you make a good point about, uh, you know, not every keeper plays at the back. You look at Oblak, for me, he's the best keeper in the world. 100%. And he, he's not playing at the back all the time. But when you do look at it, Joe, we've seen this, Ollie. We, we were complaining, weren't we? Saying, oh, Ollie, why are you playing at the back? You know, you haven't got the players to play out the back. He's not going to change it. Like we talk about Van der Beek, he's not going to change the system for him. It's a similar thing. Stylistically, he's not going to change it. He's not going to say, right, okay, so now, now that we've got Dean, we're going to play Longmore because, again, we don't have players to do that, do we? We don't have someone to hold out. Maybe Cavani. But apart from that, he's not going to play every single game. Um, but look, on the, on the Henderson and De Gea, where are you sitting on it? And do you think that De Gea has been hard done by? Because some of the stuff you're seeing is so over the top. Like, okay, yeah, he he cost us the game the other day. But myself personally, I actually think he's been better. It's not difficult. Last season he was bad. But I don't think he's been that bad. I'm a big David De Gea fan. I, I think the trans Kieran's right, the transition's coming. It has to be done soon, probably in the next season. But has he been that bad? I mean, look, Aaron's got a comment here. De Gea set his own ridiculously high standards. Be the highest paid keeper in the world, you need to play like it. Oblak is incredible. Very, very fair. I think United made a mistake back then when they gave him the 500k contract or whatever it is, 350 with bonuses. And I said at the time, and I re I've always loved De Gea, but I said at the time, this is this is bad business for United because that season in 2017 was an anomaly. I mean, again, United Arena, I keep on mentioning him, but he's just got a fantastic account. And he actually showed this, you know, the sort of save percentage. And he's almost doubled in that season. It's an anomaly. The rest of the seasons, he's kept pretty, pretty much the same. He's dropped this season. Uh, last season, he's got, he's better from last season. But um, yeah, where are you sitting on it? Is he getting treated harshly? Um, and is it time, in your opinion, that we start to look uh, towards the future with Henderson? You're on mute. Classic football. It's better to go on mute on Red Devils talk than the masterclass, though, isn't it? Either? Let's be honest. <laughs> no, look, 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 to be honest, look, mate, I, I, had, I had a long, long day, day at work, um, okay. long week. Uh, just and I was angry because we drew three all. So, yeah. No worries, mate. Probably for the best you were on mute then, to be honest. Now, I just think it's classic football fandom, isn't it, Hayley? You, you know, we have short memories. You know, football fans have short memories. De Gea, between the years of probably 2014, 2017, kept this club relevant. Because without De Gea, we'd have probably, you know, we'd have probably had Arsenal-type seasons, if you know what I mean. Some of those seasons where, you know, we just managed to scrape into the top four or we just managed to scrape into Europa League even, you know, a lot of that was thanks thanks to David De Gea. So I don't think you can forget that. And I think, I think you know, I'll give Paulie some credit here because I was doing a show with him yesterday and he said, when you get to De Gea's age, you get contracts based on what you've done rather than what you're going to achieve in that in that in whatever that period of that contract is. And I think, obviously, De Gea got that big contract as a reward for the sort of three, four years, like I just said, that he helped keep United relevant. Now, looking at De Gea versus Henderson here now in the situation we have, we went into this season thinking, wow, we've got two, two fantastic goalkeepers here. We know that Day's been at the top of his game for a lot of years, with the exception last season. And we know how good, obviously, Dean Henderson had been at Sheffield United for the last two or three years, albeit a different sort of situation. But actually, the more I look at it, I think it's become a problem for United because I think they've got two goalkeepers here with similar flaws in their games. So it's not like, I mean, I, I don't know. Obviously, you and Kieran said a lot there, so I don't know if I've missed bits and bobs, but... I feel like 
it's not like you look at one of them and think he does that really well and the other one doesn't. And it, I, I feel like this commanding of the area, it's weakness for De Gea. We know it is. It always has been. But I've also seen situations where I've wanted more from Henderson in that area as well, even in the short period of time he's been. You know, I think the Man City goal in the Carabao Cup, the second goal, was it the free kick? I, I think I'd have liked him, you know, in hindsight to come for that. There's been a couple of examples. The passing out from the back, I don't think Dave is great with his feet. But we've also seen situations where Henderson's not great with his feet as well, namely against Sheffield United earlier in the scene that Bramble Lane obviously early doors. So <laughs> it's interesting. And, and this was my big fear. I think I said it on a show right at the start of this season was you get a situation now, if Henderson is going to come in for these next four or five games, the pressure is on. The pressure is really on. Because what you don't want to be doing with your goalkeeping position is you don't want to be flip-flopping between. I think we're seeing Everton are in the midst of it at the moment, aren't they? They've obviously had... Uh, they've tried to stay true to Jordan Pickford and it didn't work. They're both as bad as each other, Joe. Yeah, they, brought, they brought in the Serie A version of Jordan Pickford. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They've brought Allison in. And, I mean, obviously, not just... I mean, he was poor. He was for as bad as the hair was against us the other day. He was just as poor. And he's having trouble now. So Ancelotti's in a situation. What do I do? Because do I go back to Pickford? You know, that's what you don't. You know, you can only play one person at a time. And I don't think Oli wants to get himself in that situation where if he plays Dean now for the next three or four games and it doesn't quite work out for Dean, what does he do? It's like, does he go back to De Gea? And it's but it's a bit harder on that level because once you drop Dave, do you lose Dave? You know, we don't know, do we? We've never been in this situation. Is, does he lose Dave? You know, if he if he makes Henderson the number one, we don't know how De Gea, De Gea is going to take to that. He's never been in that situation, really, at United. So I think it's 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 a real tricky situation, do we? It's one that I could foresee actually happening at the start of the season because I thought Dave was going to struggle again because all the indications last season were is that he struggled. And I thought if he carries he that on this year, I think a lot of people... Yeah. Are- no people that's actually aren't appreciating the fact that he has improved. That's what's frustrating me, is that I think people are saying that he's been just... Last season, he was so bad. He conceded, what, eight, nine goals. He, yes, he was bad against Everton. But I'm really... I'm struggling to think of more than maybe two or three times. I mean, maybe that's the problem, isn't it? He's a Man United keeper. Should, this shouldn't be happening. All keepers have a few blips, don't they, Joe? But I'm struggling to genuinely see, apart from the Everton game, no one was calling for De Gea to be dropped. No one was calling... Well, a few people were, but most people weren't. I feel like it's a knee jerk from what we saw at Everton against Everton, and now people are always oh, he's, he's 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 finished now. I, I honestly we, like there were so many more players that were poor. Maguire was poor. Yeah, it's not just said, hey, should, we, should we drop Maguire because Maguire was at fault for two goals? Is that what we should do? Yeah, yeah. look, we also said at the start of the season, though, Hayden, that it was only one big mistake. Sorry, it was only. I think I've got a bit of a lag here, mate. So it might look like I'm talking. I'm sorry about that, mate. But it, it's almost like it feels like. I said at the start of the season, one big mistake was all it was going to take with a keeper of the head, Henderson's class behind him. I mean, last season, he was making mistakes, but he had Romero behind him. And as good as a number two as Romero's been for United, I never felt like Romero was ever going to take the gloves off of the head. Whereas now he's got a serious goalkeeper here that will. And you never... And I did get the sort of inclination that, like Kieran said, you give him a six-year contract, that United do see the hair as a long-term goalkeeper. So... Ollie was almost looking for a reason, looking for an excuse to drop the hair. So I always thought it might only take one mistake 
or two mistakes for for the for Henderson to get it run. And we'll see. Obviously, time will tell. Now, I think obviously if you played against West Brom, I think the league games. It doesn't matter who you play in the league. It's usually an indicator of who's going to be a number one goalkeeper. And I think if Dave if Dean keeps the gloves for the West Brom game, I think that might be a sign. And then, obviously, it might not be. Because, I mean, let's be honest, he has played him in a few league games this season. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's the, the change. But it's just one of those positions, Aidan. I don't know. I've never been a goalkeeper, obviously. I've never been a football manager. But I just feel it's one of those positions you don't really want to be rotating, flip-flopping about, really. You want to have your goalkeeper and have it nailed on. And the other thing you've got to say that is in Anderson's favour is that he's younger. So these things that we're saying De Gea can't do right now, We've got to be optimistic that Dean can do them. You know, we've got to be optimistic that Dean can learn them and and obviously develop yeah, that side of the game. That is a big thing. I'm going to read yeah, that. Yeah, of course. Comments, um, Joe here. So Greg's got one. Hello, mate. Nice to see you here. Uh, Henderson didn't really have anything to do last night to even justify starting over Dave. It's crazy. Alan's saying here. Problem is both De Gea and Henderson are on huge contracts. So who's going to buy them for a reasonable transfer fee? That's a very, very fair comment. That's my worry. How are we actually going to shift David De Gea? I mean, that is the other problem. Paris Saint-Germain, that's the only option. But look, if Paris Saint-Germain also want Pogba, which they do, um, you know, that, the only way that works, and, and Neymar just signed a new deal, didn't he? Mbappe, I know you, you've... Money you know, is no problem for, for PSG. So if they want the two players, they can have the two players. They're not like when we talk about Madrid and Barcelona and the likes of them in financial difficulty, two of the teams in Europe that are not in financial difficulty are PSG and Manchester City. So in terms of any transfer and the coronavirus and the pandemic, how it's affected the market, it's affected the market for about 99% of the teams. But for those two that have the amount of wealth that they do, they can buy whoever they want. The the biggest issue is David Gea. How how you get rid of that contract? It's it's very tough. If you decided that Dean Henderson wasn't the goalkeeper, that's not too bad to get rid of. Goalkeepers for Premier League clubs aren't that far off. I know there's a couple that have been, especially now, because look the way contracts work that people forget. It's not just that one person gets overpaid this amount. If Dean Henderson gets that, the next goalkeeper that gets signed in the Premier League for a top club is going to get more than Dean Henderson. That's the way it works. I, do, then, I do think the Kepa, the Kepa transfer has massively shifted everything. Oh, yeah, completely. That's, that, completely uh, that completely overweighted everything. And then the problem will be is, look, we assume that Everton are going to have to replace the goalkeepers again. They're going to sign somebody that's going to have to be a, a big money sign. You'll probably have the same in Chelsea in a year or two because I don't think Mendy's that good as a goalkeeper. I mean, Chelsea so, fans are even saying, look, do we need to upgrade on him? He's always been steady, Eddie. See what I did there? He'll be, he'll be fine for, but when Chelsea are actually ready to compete, because I, I don't think they are for 12 to 18 months, when they're properly competing for a title, they're going to need a better goalkeeper. They'll bring somebody in and the amount of money we talk about for certain goalkeepers in the league now, it goes up every single time. It's the same. When a new transfer comes in, these agents, they're the same agents realistically. And they look at what one person's gotten and then they're like, okay, so you're bringing us in. We want a 2% increase on what that is. And then that keeps going up. And that's why you see all these really high wages. So 
the next big sign that comes into the Premier League will get X amount. But then the signing after that gets more. And that's just the way it works. Yeah, it's very fair. Guys, we're going to wrap up now. Thank you very much. This is a great debate, honestly. Great podcast. Um, you know, if you're if you're new here, thank you for joining us. And uh, we'll be doing this pretty much either every Wednesday, sort of seven thirty. We did eight o'clock today because uh, Kieran Kieran was busy. Uh, or we'll do Tuesday at seven thirty if United are playing on a Wednesday because that's when the masterclass will be after the games. But this podcast, I mean, this we've changed it up a little bit. Obviously, we, we used to have a few more people, but this is purely going to go really deep into some topics like we did today. We're not just going to do match reviews. We're not going to be trying we're reactionary. We're going to, if we have a strong opinion, we're going to say why we think that. And we want you guys to get involved because that's what makes it so great. You know, there's some really great comments and um, really made us think as well. And, you know, and, and review things a little bit more clearly. So, Joe, thank you very much, mate. You look tired. Maybe it's time for bed for you. You're about 50. I'm, so in, mate. I'm, I'm, ready, for you sing, I'm ready for you to sing me that lullaby, mate. <laughs> no, that doesn't happen. And, uh, Kieran, always All a pleasure, right. mate. Thank you very much for joining me. As you can see on the bottom right-hand corner, we are also on Twitch. I mean, judging by, you know, most normal person, like if you're 14, you're on Twitch. But, you know... If someone is here who does watch this, watch Twitch, then yeah, check us out on there. Obviously, you can see us on Twitter, you can see us on um, Instagram. There's so many now YouTube, Periscope, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time.